0: No more hiding away from you, for you surround me with kindness and truth. You went beyond my failures and you saw my need, sailed my sin into an empty sea, Jesus. Myself to you, no one else loves me like you do. I surrender to the way the light, the truth, Jesus. I give myself to you. You left heaven and showed me grace and proved your love by dying in my place from the cross to the grave and now alive i say thanks by giving you my life jesus i give myself to you me like you do, I surrender to the way, the life, the truth. Jesus, I give myself to you, all my plans, all my dreams, all my hopes, everything. Jesus, I give myself to you all my heart oh my soul all my strength it is yours jesus i, I give, give myself, myself to, you. to you jesus i give myself to you no one else loves me like you do i serve to you, Jesus, 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 I give myself to you, Jesus, 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 Jesus I, I give, give myself to you.
1: I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. i another one guys praise God are the days of Elijah, declaring the word of the Lord. And these are the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and soul, the voice in the desert, crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the call, so lift your voice, it's a year of jubilee, out of science, is salvation. are the days of Ezekiel the dry bones becoming as flesh and these are the days of your servant David rebuilding a temple of grace and these are the days of the harvest the fields are as white in the world are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the work of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining shining like the sun, at the the top he call so lift your on the tiles, shining like the sun at the trumpet okay. Like There's, no like There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Behold, he be comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the drumming call. the clouds shiny like, like the sun at the tropical oh, voice is the hero to believe out of science is sound Remain standing, as it were. (laughs) Great, I read from Psalm chapter 119, verse 156 through 160. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Many are my persecutors and my enemies, yet I do not turn from your testimonies. I see the treacherous and am disgusted. Because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. May be seated, and we could dismiss our children.
2: Here, Yep. Good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome. Welcome to those online today. We appreciate you tuning in as well. We do have several people that follow us that are not in the state. Some follow us around the world. We don't know when they're going to watch some stream it live with one phone with 30 people around them and sometimes they'll see the video and they'll share it. So uh, thank you to Norman who spent countless hours really figuring out how to get that whole thing put together and it's working. And uh, God has been faithful to this small fellowship to bring gifted people to do what needs to be done. Um, when he brings you a pastor that's gifted, he'll let you know. But prior to that, everybody else, they're doing a great job. And we appreciate you. We really do. We're going to continue our study in Judges today. We're actually going to finish our study in Judges today, Lord willing. Unless I get hung up on one verse. Could happen. But uh, we're going to finish this book today, Judges 21. Judges 21. Our title this morning is, Are My Own Eyes Aligned with God's Word? So, Father, we ask this morning that you speak to us. We know it's easy to see things through these two eyes that we have. We know that we process things with this finite mind and, and hear things with these little ears, Lord. And, and, Father, you're so much bigger than any of that. You're way beyond our ability to to really understand and conceive everything that's going on around us. So I pray, first and foremost, that we focus on you, that we keep our eyes on Jesus. The gospel, the most important aspect of who we are, is you, Jesus. And may we focus on you while everything else is in chaos. But, Lord, it's all in your plan as well. Everything that happens. While Satan may have a lot going on, he can only do what you allow him to do. You're still in control, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, open our ears to hear what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week we saw the Israelites had pretty much annihilated the the tribe of Benjamin because of their perverted sin that they knew about and allowed in their camp. And while God allowed justice against the sin, Israel got caught up in their anger and rather than stopping in at Gibeah, they went through all the towns, killing everybody, women, children. And as I mentioned last week, it's, it's possible that the entire tribe of Benjamin may have come to the place of a debased mind. We've seen it happen in Sodom. We've seen other places. I mean, the whole world was that way before the flood. So we know that this could possibly be the case. But Israel themselves, they were not innocent regarding their own sin idolatry was running rampant throughout Israel and while Benjamin's sin looks worse God views sin all the same and that's that's the point we've covered here many many times it's easy for us to look and see oh this is an ugly sin you know that that's just horrible what this person or these people have done but yet we don't look in the mirror at our own and God does he sees it he knows it and he will judge it accordingly Now, this week, we will see that after they pretty much wiped everything down to 600 men, there's remorse, but not necessarily repentance. Again, remorse is different than repentance. We'll also see how vows that they made in anger or passion create problems for them and others. And finally, we'll see how conniving and manipulative they are. Finding out or finding ways and loopholes to get away from the vows and the problems they've created for themselves. So let's begin in Judges chapter twenty-one, beginning with verse one. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, "None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife." Then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly, and said, "O Lord God of Israel." Why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? So it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath. Oath number two. (laughs) Concerning everyone who had not come, or anyone who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives, for those who remain, seeing we've sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives? And they said, What one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah to the Lord? And in fact, no one had come up to the camp from Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male from every woman who has known a man intimately so they found among the inhabitants of jabez gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately and they brought them to the camp of shiloh which is in the land of canaan then the whole congregation sent word to the children of benjamin who were at the rock of ramon and announced peace to them so benjamin came back at that time and they gave the women them women whom they had saved alive of the women of jabez gilead And that they had not found enough for them. And the people grieved for Benjamin. Because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin. That a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters. For for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, In fact, there's a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway, that goes up from from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labanoah. Therefore they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie in wait in the vineyards and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards, and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh. Then they go to the land of Benjamin. Then it shall be. When their fathers or their brothers come to us to complain, that we will say to them, Be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the year in the war, for it was not as though you have given the women to them at this time making yourselves guilty of your oath. And the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes wow what a way to to finish a book huh (laughs) it gets more and more interesting as, as we've come to this point in the anger that Israel displayed in their anger the tribes of Israel they made this vow that they would not give any of their daughters as wives to the remaining Benjamites this vow was made in anger and in passion but as we've seen before when the people of Israel make a vow, they take it very seriously above anything else. It's like if they've said it and sworn it, they will not go back on it. They will find a loophole possibly, but they won't go back on it so that they can s- be released from it. Now, and what we've seen here this morning, there's actually two vows that they made. One is that if, if you know, we can't give our daughters, and two is if a tribe or any family group or clan doesn't show up at this meeting, they'll be put to death. Two vows. Both foolish vows, because they're man-made vows. God did not call them to make either one of these vows. They did it in their anger. They did it in their passion. Now, as things settle down, the reality of their actions toward Benjamin overwhelms them. They begin to mourn over them and cry out to God regarding the fact that one of the tribes of Israel would be removed from them. Now, often after an emotional reaction there's remorse we've all felt it we've all done it when there's been a an argument a fight if you will among family or or spouses and things are said and doors are slammed and things happen and there's remorse after things settle down but oftentimes that remorse is not really because of the actions that they did or took but because of the consequences of them because of the result of those actions and now they're stuck with those things so they're sorry for that but not necessarily sorry for what led up to it to begin with it's always somebody else's fault when you really come down to it most of the time people are not willing to look at themselves as part of a problem can't be my fault i mean come on i'm made in the image of god can never be my fault it's got to be them they're the ones their image is tainted i mean this is not what we say with our mouth but these are literally what drives these thoughts are what drives our actions toward other people it's always on somebody else remorse is one thing repentance is another until two opposing parties can take our eyes off of each other and look at their own flaws conflicts can and never will be resolved there's always going to be an undercurrent it's always going to be flowing it's there it's got to be dealt with Matthew 7 2 through 4 says for what judgment you judge you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? Now, just think about that phrase for just a second. A speck, a splinter, versus a two-by-four. We have the two-by-four. But we want to focus on somebody else's splinter. Why? Because we don't want to deal with our (laughs) two-by-four. God will take that two-by-four and knock us out of the head with it if he has to. But we don't want to deal with that. That's not my issue. Their issue is more important. If they fix that, things would be fine. If you do this, I'll be happy. How many times have we heard things like that in marriage conflicts and other conflicts? If they would only do this. If they would only not do that. But the truth is, is our reaction to whatever they do or don't do is really the problem. Because what they do or don't do is not as big of a deal as we're making it out to be because it messes with us and our comfort zone and what we want to do and when we want to do it, and that's in the way of all that. And so what do we do? We get mad. We get angry. We respond in anger. And then verse 4 in Matthew chapter 7 continues, How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. And there's a phrase that we learned many years ago regarding behavioral sin. It's called fruit to root. If there's a fruit, there's a root. All of us have baggage or fruit, <laughs> negative fruit, ugly fruit, even those raised in godly homes. Woundings, misunderstandings, misinterpretations, past experiences, We all handle those things in different ways. I know in my own family, I have two sisters. And the three of us can talk about events. And we remember events. We remember when this happened in our home. But we all processed it differently. And one, well, I made my mind up at this point. When I was such and such age, I would never. Seed planted. Vow made. And from that point on, this individual has been locked in that mode that I will never be treated this way. I will never have this happen to me again. I will never. And then my other sibling, well, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. They just didn't know. And, and it was just that's how that was dealt with. But it was still buried. And I still see fruit. And then there's me who i still can't figure it all out (laughs) i mean i saw it i experienced it i responded i buried those things still sometimes pop up i have to see them i have to realize maybe there's still some unforgiveness here maybe there's still some bitterness here and those have to be looked at now i'm not wanting to get into psychological evaluation this morning we're, we're talking about a spiritual thing, but spiritual matters are affected by emotional reactions and buried sin. It's affected because of the spirit of God cannot fully flow through us when we have all of this garbage that's buried in us that we've not chose to, dealt, to deal with. And it's going to affect us no matter how close we get to God. Because here's the thing. If you really want to be in a relationship with Jesus, if you really want to be close to God, He's going to reveal these things. And if you're not willing to look at your plank, He's going to heat it up. And that plank's going to get hot. Ain't nothing worse than a hot two by four. And He's going to deal with it. If you're willing. But if you bury it further then you might get past the moment of of emotion with it or even recognition of it until the next time something triggers it, until the next time something triggers it. And it's an ongoing thing. Again, all of these things are rooted in things of, of our past somewhere along the line. But today, something happens that triggers a response that's rooted in how we dealt with it then and how we've even dealt with it since then. Have we truly looked at it and said, God... I forgive, I release. I no longer want to hold judgment over this person, this situation, this event because I release it to you so I can be free to not be triggered to act out in the same way. And here's the thing too. If you make a vow, it's going to haunt you one way or the other. If you say, I will never, chances are you're going to. (laughs) But if you don't, You're going to be so disciplined to that vow that it's going to push everything away from you that God wants to do because you said, I will never. And think of it this way. God is not an ogre. He's not a mean, ornery God. He's a loving God. He brings things to us for us to process so that when we process them, He can reveal His mercy and grace and love in the midst of it. But if you see God as an angry God, and you see God as an ogre, then everything that you do, and He's trying to reveal something to you, you're gonna be mad at Him. I don't I'm gonna pout in the corner. I don't deal with that. So we have to understand all of these things are buried within us, and most of the time, there's not a mental link. It's not a memory that triggers something. It's an action from somebody close to us that's what triggers it and we're not linking that to oh that's so-and-so oh that's that no what we're seeing is that it's bringing something up in us in response that we haven't dealt with it produces bad fruit and again usually this root is is is, is unforgiveness and bitterness And hebrews 12 14 through 15 says pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. See, our little seed that we sowed in anger and bitterness somewhere along the line is now defiling other people. Many are defiled. It's no longer just us. And when you come as a believer and you submit your heart to Jesus, you're now embodied with a bunch of other people who have their fruit too. Why is there dissension among us? Why do we have these problems? It's because we come with our own attitude, our own thoughts, our own desires, our own hurts, our own woundedness that we're not willing to give over. And if we're not willing to get over it, then we're asking everybody else that they're supposed to. I'm not going to deal with my stuff, but you better deal with yours. If you don't deal with your stuff, don't come around me. I mean, that's how divisions happen in the body of Christ. And it comes down to, I'm not in control. And there's a big one. I'm not in control. And nobody likes to feel like they're not in control. But here comes the real issue. When you come to Jesus, you're not in control. You're giving it over. You're not your own anymore. You're bought with the price. Your thoughts, your desires, your fleshly motivations are all laid down at the cross. Now I have to say, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And here's what he's going to say. I want you to look at this area in your heart right here. you got a problem. I don't know what are you going to do with that. Some people fight it for years. Some, some don't. You hear testimonies in both of those things, but God is faithful the heart of the ones who want to be with him but we've got to look at these things and i want to say this morning if you're going through a conflict right now i need you to go before the lord go before the lord in this conflict whatever it is ask him to reveal to you any area in your life that he wants you to see take your eyes off of the other party granted they're not innocent i'm not i'm not sitting here saying that that everybody else is always right and you're wrong what i'm saying is that their wrongs have to be dealt with between them and god your wrongs have to be dealt with between you and god and if you don't see it that way you're going to be like this from now on the cycle will not be broken see most people when they are young and they get married oh It's just a beautiful two people coming together in perfect harmony. Oh, love conquers all. This all, oh, I love them so much. And then the honeymoon's over. And the reality sets in. It's more like this. Why? Because this person is locked in this, and this person is locked in this, and neither one are open to Jesus to do this. And until they're willing to do that, the conflicts will be there. That's in marriage, but it's in every relationship we have because we're relational people. Some of us don't want to be, but we are. Some of us don't like getting out of our comfort zone. God's going to take you out of that comfort zone. Why? Because He doesn't want you to be comfortable in your flesh. He wants you to be broken in, in the Spirit. When you're broken in the Spirit, you have peace in your heart. In your comfort zone, you may think you have peace, but you really don't because a slight little thing will trigger it right out of whack and your whole world will be going in a different direction. Take the focus off the other person or persons. Go in humility, and as He works in you, your perspective will change regarding the situation. Not saying that the circumstance changes, but your perspective will change and therefore you're no longer holding the other person in judgment or in ruling that they're the ones with all the problem and now you're willing to come in humility and I'm gonna promise you if you're willing to come in humility the other person's gonna see it now they may not respond initially and it's not manipulation you're not trying to approach them oh if I come this way they'll do this no we went to a church that's the way the pastor counseled I still want to go back over there and have words but Lord won't let me again what was that forgiveness that's right gotta let all that stuff go but his counsel was practical if you do this they will do this that's manipulation you should never do anything with the expectation that somebody else is going to do something what you do is you do it because god told you you need to deal with something and if you deal with that something let that releases him to work in the other side not saying what the outcome will be but i'm saying that you will have peace and your perspective will change in the midst of it. It brings healing and long-term change to us. See, there's a difference between remorse and repentance. When you have remorse, the moment changes, but the long-term doesn't. When you have repentance, that begins to bring complete healing. And then long-term, these things start to fade away. Not saying they won't pop up from time to time, but they're not triggered the way they were. Things change. That's the Spirit changing you to be more like Jesus, dying to those things that he wants us to see. Now back to our text this morning. Israel, while remorseful for the fact that Benjamin was almost removed, they don't even see themselves as the real problem of what caused it. Verse 3 says, Oh, Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel? That today there should be no, be one tribe missing in Israel. Uh, because you wiped them all out? You thought of that? They're pretty much looking at this almost without seeing it here that it's God's fault. God, you did this. Why? And they're, mour- they're mourning. It was because of their own actions, but they don't want to acknowledge it. Again, remorse, not repentance. So after all this grief, still operating in their emotions now. This is all emotional response. Remember, I've talked about this a thousand times. Our emotions are dangerous if we let, if they let them control us. Emotions are real. We're created with emotions. It's okay to feel, but it's not okay to let those emotions dictate your life and control everything you do. But this is where they're at. They make another vow, which brings more violence. In verse 5, The children of Israel said, who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly of the Lord? They were looking for any way they could to justify what they had already done over here. They're trying to come up with a loophole over here. So this is what they did. They made this vow. Now, all of a sudden, oh, well, this group didn't show up. This whole group didn't show up. They made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord, saying he shall surely be put to death. Why such a rash vow? Why such a passionate, emotional vow? Why not just say, there are going to be consequences if you don't show up? But no, they went all the way down to it. And once, you, once they've made a vow, like I said, they won't go back on it. In their passionate expression, they did this. So it happened that Jabesh Gilead didn't show up. Maybe they didn't get the memo. Maybe they were running late. Maybe he was waiting on his wife to get ready for, for the big meeting that morning. Or maybe she was waiting on him just to balance it out. Never happened on one way or the other, has it? Whatever the case, they didn't show up. So Israel has to act out on their vow. And they justify this action by using it ar- away around the first vow. We're going to go wipe them all out. But since we made this vow, since we got to kill them all, we don't have to kill them all do we we can let those young virgins live that's going to help us take care of the first problem that we created for ourselves in the first vow so they go and they wipe them all out except for 400 virgins and they bring them that's a loophole (laughs) that's a loophole that's what they were looking for it releases them from the vow and the men and uh, the men, the fathers of Jabez-Gilead, they were dead. So they weren't giving these daughters, were they? No, they were being taken. So that released everybody in their mind. Oh, it's all okay. we got this solved. Great. This story continues to expose the wickedness of their generation digging one hole after another and falling into it. And jesus said this when speaking against the leaders of israel in his day in matthew fifteen thirteen fourteen 14 through 14 he said but he answered and said every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted let them alone speaking of the leaders of israel they are blind leaders of the blind and if the blind leads the blind both will fall into a ditch well that's what's happening here remember there was no king in israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes So they were all leading themselves into the ditch. They were all falling into a ditch. And they dug a lot of ditches during this time. (laughs) And they kept falling into them. Now remember, there were 600 Benjamites left. And after all was said and done, after this event, they only found 400 wives for them. That left 200. They still have a problem. We still can't give our wives. We still can't solve this problem so what do we do they still have the original vow that they have to contend with so let's look for another loophole we've got to figure out another way there's got to be another way now so listen you Benjamites, we've got this big celebration coming up now you didn't hear this from us okay but if you go over and hide over here all the young virgins will be dancing right there and you go up and grab one. Grab your wife. And so they did. And they got 200 more. That got all of them. And then what do they say? Now, if the, if the parents or the fathers complain, say, just, you know, have a little mercy here. I mean, you know, we made this vow and all, and, and it's not like you gave them. You didn't give them, so you're not guilty of a vow. They were taken. What can we do about that? Now, this is the manipulative mindset of an evil generation. This is what happens when you're not focused on God. None of these things would have taken place had any of them sat down and really spent time with God asking for direction, asking to know know what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to do it, and really waiting on Him. But they came first in pride. They gathered in pride. We can't let this sin be... You're not, not dealt with. We're going to deal with it. They had already gathered for war before they asked God who's going to go up. Had they sat down and really processed this and said, God, what should we do? He might have given them a completely different answer. But they just came and said, We're going. Which one do you want us to go first? He said, Judah. Judah goes. They're defeated. Then they come back weeping and crying, still prepared to go to war. Do we go up? Go. They go up, they're defeated again. Now, this whole part within the story amazes me. See, God still is showing that He's in control, He's still sitting on the throne. And they, in their passion and their emotion, wanted to deal with the problem. He got them humbled just a little bit, not completely, but a little bit. But that other sin still had to be dealt with. But Israel went too far. Again, they weren't really concerned with what god wanted until it was all said and done when the emotions pass when the rage is gone all of a sudden oh god why did you allow this to happen why is the whole tribe almost wiped out and again no personal accountability whatsoever so another manipulating ploy that they use to deal with their own foolish behaviors so as we come to a close of the study here in Judges, it doesn't end well for Israel. But we shouldn't be surprised. The last verse of this chapter sums up the main issue with the people of Israel during the times of the Judges. And it was, it's repeated. It's more than one time in, in the book it's spoken. But verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, the truth is, god wanted to be their king that's he was their king if they'd allowed him to be but they didn't want that they didn't want to stand in the presence of a holy god it was easier for them to desire a wicked king because a wicked king you could stand before and maybe use a loophole or use some kind of manipulation or use something that you can have a communication with But a holy God? No. you got to come and he's going to see it all. He knows it all. So you can't go with that whole ploy of manipulation. And think about it. Back in the day when, when Moses went up to the mountain, the mountain shook. The whole assembly was at the mountain to start with. But when God spoke, they all turned in fear. And they come and they say, Moses, you go talk to God. We'll stay back here and you come tell us what he says why why would they not put themselves in front of the holy god because they knew their wickedness and it wasn't just a few short verses later they were building a a, a golden calf they were doing all these things evil because they felt like well we sent moses up god probably killed him by now it's been 40 days so let's go and make this calf we'll do our own thing and here comes moses Uh uh-oh now we got to deal with holiness again but see, the whole point was is that they it was easier for them to deal with a man that had been with, been with God than to be with God. Same as today. It's easier for people to submit to a preacher, not necessarily submit in a way of, you know, complete and full understanding and following the leadership of a church, but submitting under his teaching, submitting into the body of Christ, joining a church or whatever. It's easy for people to do that. And honestly, sometimes people do that, not with this consciously, but hoping, well, if that person falls, at least I can say, aha! There we go again. There's that speck looking for something so they don't have to look at themselves. But God wanted to be their king. They didn't want to submit to him. It wasn't until we read in the book of Samuel that they actually verbally asked for an earthly king. And here's what God told them in 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 8. He said, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you're old. (laughs) Thanks for that. And your sons don't walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me. That I should not reign over them according to all the works which they've done since the day that I brought them out, up out of Egypt, even to this day with which they've forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. The heart of the people wasn't for God. They wanted to be like all the other nations. Why? Because they, could, they honestly think about it this way. If you have a king, you might can even manipulate him. You know? I mean, how many people have we heard in, our, in the electoral process over the years? They cater to the voters. They take polls and decide what they stand for. They stand for this and they stand for that until they're elected and they stand for nothing. But this is how people manipulate. And people say this and say that and this is what we want. They think they can manipulate and then they get in there and all these things take place. And so, this is how people's minds work. This is the fleshly nature of man. And they wanted to be actually under an authority, but an authority they can maybe manipulate or do whatever, but not be totally and honest with. But they knew they couldn't do that with God. You cannot manipulate God, you cannot come into His presence with hidden sin that He didn't know about. You can't. He knows, He will bring that conviction. The truth is all men have this problem because we're all born with a sinful nature. And even though Israel was God's chosen nation, they had the same flesh that we have. They were born into it. Since the fall of man, we're all born with a sinful nature. Now today, there's still monarchies around. There's kings and queens and whatnot. And and, and they do have power based on their wealth. And they're manipulating factors of people they hang out with. But in their government, they don't really have that much power. That power is done through Parliament and through all these other things. So it's not the same as it was back then. Their influence uh, is is powerful because of money. When you get into the billionaires, billionaires have the money. The billionaires are making a lot of decisions. They're manipulating things behind the scenes. And I can promise you this. A lot of what you're hearing in the news today are distractions by the people that are doing things behind the scenes because they don't want you to see what they're doing. On both sides of the aisle, I'm just telling you, you got to be careful what you read, careful what you see. Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. For here in our nation, we're built. we were built on a constitution that was founded on biblical principles and set up to the elected officials could not become tyrants over the people. But as in all cases, corruption and greed always bring a downfall. Sin always brings a downfall. And that's what we're experiencing right now in our own country. But another point to notice here is that we've always had freedom to do what was right in our own eyes under the governmental structure that we have. That's something to keep in mind here. We can blame the government. We can blame the powers that be. We can look at all of them and say, you did this, you're doing this, this is destroying this, all of this is happening, but then we have to come back again, and what did we say earlier? Go look at ourselves, because we, as a nation, freedom to, of religion to be able to do and to practice what we, want, what, what we say we believe, have not practiced what we say we believe. And so, therefore, a lot of the church and a lot of the God's uh, uh, principles have been eroded down to nothing because we haven't been focusing on Jesus and we're part of the problem. We can't really blame the elected officials for our downfall because uh, doing what is right in our own eyes has brought us where we're at today. Every man was doing what is right in his own eyes. Now, you think about that. How many people go to an election poll and cast a vote doing what's right in their own eyes? (sighs) This group stole my, my ability to have an abortion. I'm voting this way. That's right in my eyes. This group doesn't agree with my transgender identity. I'm voting this because it's right in my own eyes. This group didn't do this. This group doesn't do that. Neither group does anything. <laughs> so I'm going to vote for this person and write your own name in there. See where I'm going with this? When a culture does what's right in its own eyes, if it does not align with God's Word, what we're seeing happening is going to happen. It's inevitable. Of course, we know the Bible tells us what's going to happen worldwide, and we're all heading that direction on God's timeline. But prior to that happening, nations have been raised and nations have been brought down. Rome. Rome was a powerful nation brought down to rubble. All nations that rose into superpower status over all the years of of culture have been broken down. Sin. They implode and then they're brought in. Think about this, when Daniel... Uh, when when the uh, babylonians they had captured him nebuchadnezzar had been humbled he treated people fairly and decently but then he's dead what happens his great-grandson or grandson whichever descendant he was he's just a party animal he's a show-off he's not following the ways of his father or his uh, grandfather nebuchadnezzar he goes in, take, has them all take all the, the drinking utensils and all the, the utensils from the temple, and they're having a party drinking out of all these things. And then what happens? Hand of God shows up, writes on the wall, and basically says, it's over. <laughs> You're done. And that very night, he was killed, assassinated, and they had already, the, uh, the, uh, not the Assyrian, the, um, thank you. They were already making their way through the tunnels through the, du- the water ducts, they'd already rerouted the water. They were coming in, and they didn't even know it. Imploded first, and then the enemy came in and took over. We're on the same path. We're on the same path. Now, we can look at it. We can analyze it. We can break it down. Well, it's going to be China. We'll all be speaking Chinese in six months. <laughs> no, it's going to be Russia. we are only speaking Russian in six months. Listen, I don't know there's going to be either of them. What I do know Is that where we're heading is not in a good place. Because we have done what's right in our own eyes as a nation. And it's brought it to where we are today. Cultural breakdown on every level. If we look at what's right in our own eyes. There's no absolute truth anymore. It's my truth. It's what I want it to be. It doesn't matter what what the Bible says anymore that can't be really true because I don't feel that that doesn't tickle my little my, my, my funny bone I, I don't like that i no no that can't be really God so actually I can be my own God again people don't necessarily some people say that but for the most part that's not what's spoken it's just they begin more and more doing what's right in their own eyes everyone can have their own laws really don't apply if you feel oppressed in your own eyes and that's what's happening today we hear all kinds of things happening where places are being destroyed businesses being destroyed but that's you can't really judge them for that i mean they're oppressed so therefore they have a right to do all these things what about the law that says no one has the right to go and destroy another man's property but so no absolute law No, absolute science. Science is no longer accepted as truth. Biology only applies when it doesn't affect my truth. Biology says you cannot become a woman if you're a man. Physically, cannot happen. Even with surgery, cannot happen. You still have the basis of a man or a woman, period. That's science. That's truth. But if it doesn't apply, nope not accepting that truth can't be right because I don't feel that so therefore you're wrong and if you speak out you're a hater and you're this and you're that and you're the problem this is the culture that we live in these self-centered me groups have been the ones voting in the leaders that we have today and they have blinders over their eyes and if you think about it you say well wait a minute population we have enough people in the country to this another yeah but it's not the popular vote that counts where do all the electoral votes come from? The liberal cities, Atlanta, Decatur. Some of these towns, even Cobb County down Marietta. These big, bigger the city gets, the more liberal it gets. The more liberal it gets, the more electoral votes they get, and therefore California is a prime example. California has m- millions of people. Probably I don't know how many. I'm just throwing a number out there. So some of you going to do your math and call me out on it. But ever how many people they have. Probably by a popular vote, they would not have any of the leadership they have. But San Francisco, San Diego, Los Angeles, Hollywood, all of these towns are bringing in those people. Because why? They're doing what is right in their own eyes. They're not interested in biblical. They're not interested in truth. They just want what they want when they want it. And they're the ones that this is happening with. They have blinders. And it's just what Jesus said about Israel, John twelve thirty seven through 40. But although he'd done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke. Lord, who's believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. Because Isaiah again, uh, uh, said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Lest they should see with their eyes unless they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. And 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now this is what's happening before us, because the blind are leading the blind, People don't want to see truth. They've turned their hearts and minds over. Therefore, God has hardened their hearts. Now, there are some that the hearts are not hardened yet. That's why we're still here. We would not be here today if there were some that still had not received Jesus that are going to. Because that's the, what the Bible says. So there are some Gentiles, there are some Jews still today that will receive Jesus. There's the whole world out here. We don't know who they are, where, and we don't know which the last one's going to be. But whoever they are, wherever they are, it's the responsibility of the church who is left on this earth to be a light to them. But what about this group that won't believe? Let them not believe. You're not going to save them. You're not going to change them. You're not going after the, the group you're going after the heart that God sends you through the power of the Holy Spirit that he's given you to be a witness to those people who would hear. Now, there are going to be a lot of times people are going to push back, but there's going to be some that it's going to, seed's going to be planted. That's why we're here. That's what the church is about. But the church has responsibility in what's happening in our culture today. We have the truth, the truth, the absolute truth. We're the light. And unfortunately, many have cowered in the face of the enemy, denying God's power, having a form of godliness in show by having a service every Sunday and speaking about cultural things and doing good things in the community, which are not bad within themselves, but that becomes their belief system. That becomes who they are. Jesus is pushed out. The Word of God is pushed out. We should be boldly proclaiming that if what is right in our own eyes does not align with God's Word and His truth, then we're the problem, not God. Again, getting back to ourselves, looking in the mirror, asking God, what is it in me that you see that needs to be worked on? It's easy to see everybody else's sin. Sin is exposed today like it's never been. You can't walk down the street and not hear or see or do something that goes completely against god's word so who's the problem well the people are the problem that have turned their back on god it's time we humble ourselves before the lord we need to align ourselves fully with him fully with his word and fully with the leading of the holy spirit standing up to the lies and the cultural movements that have infiltrated the church and defiled many they defiled many in Ephesians, now Paul is writing about marriage in Ephesians and husbands and wives, but he brings it to a full picture. What does it mean for husbands to love your wives? He says, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church. In Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself, sword for, I'm sorry, gave himself for her. But this is where it really gets interesting, that he might sanctify who? The body of Christ, the bride of Christ. This is who's speaking about God now. That God may sanctify, cleanse her with the washing of the water by what? The word. Washing of the water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So, yeah, he's talking about husbands and wives. But he says, now, let me tell you how Christ loves the church. He died for her, number one, gave his life for her. But what's the whole purpose here? He wants to sanctify with her. He wants to sanctify the church, the bride of Christ, with the washing of the water by the word. In other words, if you're the bride of Christ, if you're a true believer, you're a Christian, you need to be washed by the water of the word continually for your sanctification. You're being sanctified. But if you're not in the Word, if you're not being taught the Word, if you're not grasping the full counsel of God's Word, then what you're doing is you're dabbling. You're dabbling. And dabbling doesn't cut it. You can't dabble with God. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to wash you. He wants to baptize you fully in the fullness of His Spirit and the fullness of all that He has for you. But you can't receive that. No matter how much you ask for it. If you're dabbling and not sincere in your heart about what you really need to do. And that's get before him and ask him to cleanse you with his word. Ask him to show you the truth in his word. Asking him to, to let that truth come alive in you. And change you. Not somebody else. You. This is the word. This is what the word of God does. And that's why when churches are void of God's full counsel and not preaching his word, you have a mishmash of thousands of people coming that don't even know who Jesus is. Oh, man, this is an exciting place. Do you hear that music? Woo! Boy, that light show was awesome this morning, wasn't it? And you walk in, and every wall is painted solid black, the ceiling solid black, like you go into a huge bar. And that music is a rockin'. And sometimes on Sunday morning, before worship starts, they're playing Beatles tunes of all things, goodness gracious. We're all in a yellow submarine. Oh, come on. No talent bombs. But anyway, moving on. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Couldn't help myself. But when you get in there, it's all loud, and it's, it's great, it's wonderful. And then they'll slow it down, and you get to all oh, the emotional, oh, I just love the worship there. Well, how was the teaching? I just love the music. I just love this. I just love how they did that. Well, how was the teaching? Oh, man, you wouldn't believe. It was just awesome. I can be anything I want to be. All i got to do is pull up my bootstraps, be all right. It's all good. I'm telling you, this is what's happened when things are right in your own eyes and you get involved in the cultural movements and you bring that into the front door of the church. The church sucks down that same tube and it's a rat hole and it brings nothing positive. It may be positive motivationally. Well, then just go home and listen to motivational speech, which is what most of these TV preachers are anyway. Oh, they'll motivate you to death, but you've got to buy their books to do it. Wealthy, motivational speakers. Tack the name preacher or whatever. Thousands and thousands of dollars. Millions of dollars. Sold every year. All on how you can feel good and call yourself a Christian. That's not what the Word teaches. The Word of God says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Let Him lift you up. Come to Him in humility. Let Him change you jesus is coming back for his bride and she'll be without spot without blemish why because the true church is being washed in the word so some will say well jesus can never come back look at the church it's all messed up no it's not not the true church the true church is not messed up at all now you still have problems you still have Conflicts, you still have to work through those things. But the true believers who are focused on Jesus Himself, who are allowing the Holy Spirit to teach them through the Word of God and cleansing of the Word of God, they are already without spot or blemish. They're already walking in holiness. He's already prepared to take them out. May not be as big of a number as people think. And here's the sad part on that day, the Lord comes and takes His church. It may be on a Saturday and Sunday, church is open as usual. May not be near as many people, and some of them, some won't open it all. But some will be full. And they won't understand what just happened because they didn't know Jesus. They had a religion. They didn't have a relationship. He's preparing the church with the washing of the water by the word and understanding what it means. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Word of God will keep the church holy and keep her spotless as the bride of Christ. The feel-good, watered-down messages and professional musicians with excitement and noise, they'll satisfy for the moment. They'll satisfy. They'll bring an emotional high. And you can love it. But it does nothing to add to the sanctification of the body of Christ. Nothing. Now here at Calvary Chapel, River Oaks, other places, we're not the only ones. Calvary Chapel is not the only one. This is one thing I warn people of Calvary Chapel. I continue to warn them. Don't be a Calvaryite. <laughs> Calvary Chapel was used mightily by God, foundation of who we are and what we believe. That's why we're a Calvary Chapel, because of the foundation of, of the teaching in the Word. But if if, if Calvary Chapel, quote, goes away, we don't. We're not a Calvaryite group. We don't worship Calvary Chapel. It doesn't have to be a Calvary Chapel. Believe it or not, there's other people that teach God's Word. I don't know where they are right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just (laughs) kidding. But but there are many God has set aside. I think about Elijah. After killing 400 prophets of Baal, the fire coming from him, and there's a huge, miraculous movement of God. And then he's running, and he's hiding from Jezebel. And he's saying, God, just go ahead and kill me. I'm the only one left. And God said, no, you're not. I've got 7,000 over here reserved that you don't even know about. See, God's got his church where he needs them to be. The true believers, they're where they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And we need to be obedient in what we're supposed to be doing. But we need to be preparing the church for the return of Jesus. So are my own eyes aligned with God's word? Or are they aligned with my fleshly desires? what I want, what I desire. Time is short. We don't need to find ourselves unprepared as the five virgins did with the lamps low on oil. I'll close with this passage, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and for you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, The bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Are your lamps full of oil? Do you have that oil readily available? See, here's the, here's the truth. We are the lamp. The Holy Spirit is the oil. If your lamp needs to be trimmed, <laughs> allow God to do the trimming, pruning if you will. But the Holy Spirit will fill you and keep you full as long as you're focused on the Word of God, focused on Jesus, submitted to the Holy Spirit in His leading and doing the will of the Father. If that's your heart, your lamp is going to be full. You're not going to have to worry about going and getting full. But if your heart is even half in and saying, "Well, I go to church and I do read the Bible occasionally, and I kind of believe," I mean, it's not like you know, but but I got things to do. I mean, you know, today's Sunday afternoon. I mean, I can be on the lake. I could be watching a ball game i could be doing this i could be doing that or this is more important i got to be at work and in some cases well family time is so much i mean we got to spend time with the family so we'll, we'll skip church day and go to the park look i'm not making judgment here there are times when the holy spirit says you need to be by you need healing go do these things what i'm saying is is that if the pattern is there and it's not all in for jesus but dabbling then your, your oil is going to be low and when Jesus comes, you're not going to be able to go get all. All of a sudden, you'll say, "Holy Spirit, fill me quick! I see the part, the clouds parting. Come fill me, fill me, fill me." No, I, I didn't know you. You you didn't know me all this time. You weren't prepared. We need to know Jesus. We need to be in relationship with Him. When Jesus comes, there'll be no time to get things in order. It'll be too late. Today is a day of salvation. Today. Is a day of preparation for the coming day of the Lord? Are you ready? Are we prepared? Are what we're seeing with our own eyes lining up with God's word? If not, where's the problem lie? Right here. Can't blame God. Can't blame anybody else. It's time we really get serious about getting before the Lord and asking him to reveal himself to us the way he wants to in order for us to be prepared for what's coming. Each one of us are responsible for that because each one of you are the church. It's not this building. It's not the seat you're sitting in. You brought the Holy Spirit with you. If you didn't, well, there's another problem. You need him. Ask him. Repent. Submit unto the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and be led and to live according to his his word and align with his word. Again, time is short. And as we got through this entire book, what did we see? Through the whole book, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. And through the whole book, there was one disaster after another after another. Even the ones that God rose up had issues. (laughs) But he did what he did. He used who he could. He brought it through. And this is where we find Israel at this point. And this is where we find the church today with the same issues, the same problems, the same focuses. But we can't say God changed the church until we say God changed me being the church. Starts here. Each one. You want revival? Go get on your knees. Don't look for it at a big event because it won't last. If some fad revival comes sweeping through here with a big caravan, don't jump on it. Not unless the Holy Spirit is confirmed in you, that that's what you need to be a part of. Let it be you. Let you be driving the caravan. You drive the bus, or should I say, let the Holy Spirit drive the bus. But you be on it, Father. We.